morning. You glad to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Okay. So, you know, you guys are going to have to interact with me here a little bit, okay? Um, I, as you can tell, I am not Ed Lowe, so it's like a tag team. They said, you're it, and I appreciate those words of encouragement this morning. They said, you obviously will never be the preacher Ed Lowe will be unless you're 20 minutes earlier, and then we'll think about it. And I appreciate those words very, very much this morning. It's very kind of you uh, to share those words with me. So the title of the message this morning is entitled, Jesus Loves the Little Children. And I've dedicated this one to VBS 2019, which if you've noticed the stage and you've noticed the decorations, uh, have you guys ever seen the movie Nine at the Museum? I'm kind of afraid that if things start coming alive here, we're in trouble. I mean, they could be jumping off this stage. It, could, it, it really could get pretty interesting. I've also noticed that as you walk through the hallway where our Bible fellowship classes are, whoever decorated that was not six foot tall. I literally went through the jungle this morning, uh, but I love every single minute of it. I love to see the decorations. I'm so excited. I cannot wait for tomorrow to be here. Do you guys remember, raise your hand, if you attended a VBS when you were a kid. Raise your hand. Most of you, right, attended a vacation Bible school. You know, one thing that I remember in VBS growing up as a kid were the songs and how great the songs were. You guys remember the songs in VBS, right? Now, I, I, I'm, I'm older Okay, uh, so I, I'm starting to remember those songs. Remember the song about Zacchaeus? He was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. You guys remember that one? Or how about Father Abraham had many sons? You know, and then you had the motions, and I mean the kids, you know, right arm, left arm. They're turning around, right, doing some dancing. I know, in Baptist church, dancing. I know, I get it, okay? But uh, those kids are, are working out. Uh, if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands, Right? and stomp your feet, and turn around. I mean, these were some of the best times. But it's about training, right? Training a child in the way that he should go. You're introduced to those stories. Uh, I am a uh, teacher and coach at Boswell High School. As you know, this will be my uh, 16th year this year uh, as we begin in August. And I cannot tell you how many times now it's sad that even the, some of the students in my class do not know basic stories. They've never heard the story of Daniel in the lion's den. They've never heard the story of David and Goliath. And so because I am in English and because I teach literature, every single time we have one of those footnotes, if we're reading a passage by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. or one of those others, and we come to a biblical allusion, that is a teaching moment for me. And I said, okay, guys, so can somebody give me the background and context? And, of course, if somebody in the room knows the story, I'll call on them. And, you know, they have the floor, and then they're able to share that story. But if they don't, I said, well, let's take some time because we need to understand these biblical allusions so that we can understand what it is that he's trying to say in this passage. Uh, it's, it's unbelievable how somehow over time uh, we've, so, we've sort of lost that. Uh, so, today's message is kind of be twofold. Uh, the first part, uh, it just, God laid it on my heart, and I got to preach what the Lord lays on my heart. Uh, and the Lord was, I was thinking about children and a children's message and, and what I would say and what the Bible says about children and how Jesus interacted with children. But I think we had to start at the very beginning, and that is life. 
itself and the babies. So uh, I'm just going to just tell you right now, I'm going to make a statement, and, and this is true, and we're going to look at uh, several scripture verses, but, and I'm sure this doesn't really come as a shock to you, but it may come as a shock to America and maybe some churches all across America, and that is God is pro-life. He's pro-life. It's that simple. God values life. He values every child. We're going to look at some of these, these verses here. Now, I also want to have a, kind of a disclaimer here before we get started, and I want to say this, and I feel that this is very important. I never know who's going to be in the audience that day and who's going to hear this sermon, who might be listening on, uh, online uh, that goes to our website and they're listening to the sermons. But I want to say this. If you are a woman in this church, and you have uh, had an abortion in the past, I want to tell you this, God is a graceful God, and He is a forgiving God. And there is nothing, absolutely nothing, that any of us could ever do to separate us from the love of God. Amen? Amen. And it's, it's all about second chances. God gives us a second chance. The reason why He died on the cross is because He knew. We, we, we have a sin nature, okay? So, but as we, we dive into this, uh, it is a sensitive subject for some, and some that have, have lost uh, children, they've, they've miscarried, or they're trying to have children and can't. This can be sort of a, a weighty topic. Well, in Psalm 139, 13 through 16, one of my favorite verses, it says this, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you. For I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame is not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. And in your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me when as yet there were none of them. What an amazing verse. What an amazing truth that's here. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. You, you want to know when life begins? Life begins at conception. In fact, we're going to take it even a step further. Let's look at this verse. It says here, it says, in your book was written every one of the days that were formed for me, even though there was not even one of them yet. Now look at me. This is very important. Did you know that God has a plan for each and every one of your lives? And that he's had that plan from the very beginning? And that it says in the scriptures, one of my favorite verses, that he has plans to prosper you. To make you successful, right? That is one of the most amazing things. I mean, it's, it's very uplifting for me to know that God's got this, right? He's got it in His hands. Well, as you know, I, I, I love statistics. I'm a statistics kind of guy. I study data. I study data about churches and all that. And if you've ever heard one of my messages, you know the ones that I preached recently. Same type of thing. Well, uh, I'm not a scientist, but I do love science, and I have studied science, and, and certainly um, I have worked a lot with uh, pregnancy uh, aid centers across the state of Texas and Oklahoma and been to some of the dinners and been an advocate for the uh, unborn child. But I want to just look at some of these real quickly because, you know, we forget them over time. 
Babies are alive in the womb. You know, 18 days, 18 days after conception, that baby in that womb has a heartbeat and a unique blood type. 28 days, they're developing their eyes, their ear, their tongue, they're developing arms and legs. In 30 days, the brain has human proportions. 42 days, the skeleton is formed with jaw, teeth, taste buds, fingers, and toes. In 8 to 10 weeks, every organ is present. Fingerprints, and they're sensitive to touch. 11 weeks, there's a breathing practice that takes place, urination and facial expressions. And at 12 weeks, the baby reaches the peak of movement. The sex is determined, hair growth, and that baby, that child responds to various stimulations inside of the womb. Isn't God amazing? It's incredible. It's incredible to watch that and to know that God had all that planned. Well, I want to tell you uh, a story. It's, uh, by the way, if you haven't read this book, spoiler alert, okay? But you're about two decades too late. You can go read it. I encourage you to buy a copy. I very, very rarely ever promote anything from behind the pulpit. But I'm going to tell you, this book I read when I was a young man, and it changed my life. It's the, uh, one of the very unusual books by a guy by the name of Frank Peretti. He wrote Piercing the Darkness in This Present Darkness, Prophet. He was writing some uh, Christian fiction at the time. And he wrote this book called Tilly. One name, Tilly. And it's, it's an amazing story. I uh, keep a copy in my classroom. I have given it to several girls in my class who uh, became pregnant out of wedlock that were struggling with uh, whether or not to, to keep the child, and they were in this. And I said, here, have this. It's, it's a cheap book. You can get it on Amazon or whatever for, you know, eight bucks or something like that. Phenomenal book. I want to just describe the book to you really quickly. So there was a mother, uh, and in her... Um, early marriage. She had had an abortion. Uh, the book really doesn't say whether she was a believer or not. She may have been a young believer. We don't know. Uh, she had a husband and for whatever reason decided to make that decision. Something was going on in her life and then uh, all of a sudden she ended up having several children. I think three children if, if I'm correct in that and had a very successful uh, family life and so one day they were uh, at the funeral of somebody that had passed away in their church and, and nobody had really come and they were wandering around the cemetery and they come across a grave. And the grave, the name on it said Tilly. One date, that is it. One date. No dash, nothing. So it just drives her crazy, and she begins to go uh, as, as an investigator and begins to investigate this grave. So what, who is this Tilly, and why is there only one date? And so she begins to run it down. She begins to ask the people that run the cemetery what was going on and, and who uh, buried you know, this person here. And so she, she tracks down a nurse that worked at one of those abortion clinics who uh, left because she accepted Christ and decided that's not what God wanted her to do. But she finds out that that was actually her child. Her child survived. The abortion was alive for a very short period of time. And the nurse, being Catholic, wanted to give the baby a proper burial. And they buried the child in a shoebox. She was very poor, didn't have a lot of money, but they actually held a service 
So she goes home. She has a bunch of sleepless nights. Uh, she can't sleep. She's seeing doctors. Her husband is just beyond himself. He, he doesn't know what to do to console his wife. And she has a dream. And in the dream, she wakes up. And there are all these children playing in her yard. And she can't figure out why. She goes, this is my yard. I, I don't get it. And so she begins to question him. She goes, you woke me up from sleeping. And what are you doing? And, you know, get off that tree. You're not supposed to be swinging on that branch. And she begins to question him. And none of them have any names. And there are just hundreds, thousands of these kids everywhere. But there was one of them that had a name. And her name was Tilly. And she has a conversation. She invites that child into her home. And her home had all the pictures of her family members, her brothers and sisters that Tilly had never met. And they begin to have a conversation. And I'm going to tell you, it is a tearjerker. I almost can't talk about it. I'm going to cry up here. And at the end, she, she's fading out of this dream. And Tilly is shouting to her. She says, Mama, it's okay. I'm with God. I don't hurt anymore. I'm not in pain. I love you. I can't wait to see you. It's okay. You're forgiven. So, uh, I'm sorry, guys. I love children. In the end, I, I give that to those girls, and they... They're in those desks, and they're weeping, and they said, you know what? I've decided to keep the child. And then I realized why God has me there to begin with. You see, we're, we're on a mission field, wherever we are. God has us there for a reason. I know that I've been in those classrooms for situations exactly like that. Well... I can tell you guys, are, you guys are not believing me. <laughs> so let's look at some more verses. In Jeremiah 1.5, it says this, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. There we go again. Before you were in the womb, when you were just a thought in God's mind. Job 31.15, Did not he who made me in the womb make him? And did not one fashion us in the womb? Well, let's look at two more. Psalm 22.10, it says, On you was I cast from birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Or how about Psalm 22.31 that says this, They shall come and proclaim His righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it. Look at that. To a people yet unborn. Does God care about life? He holds it precious. And last but not least, Romans 9, 10 through 12. It says, And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born, he had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue. Not because of works, but because of Him who calls. She was told, the older will serve the younger. 
verse after verse after verse, God is showing us how life is precious. You know, a lot, I've, uh, I teach uh, about the Holocaust. We read a book called Night by Eli Weissel and about uh, all those Jews and others that were persecuted, tortured, and killed in the concentration camps during World War II, Auschwitz and Dachau and Buchenwald and all of those. And uh, we have obviously, uh, we've, we've said a lot of things to Germany as a country, as a nation. We've made a lot of statements, and we're like, how terrible is this, and how horrific, and these atrocities that took place, and Truly, it was. But Germany, very interestingly, responded back as a country, and they said, look at how many babies you have aborted, one every second. What an atrocity. What a tragedy. How many lives that we have taken. Taken in the name of what we would call choice. May God help us. Well, I want to I transition. I want to ask this question to you. Are children important to God? Very much so. Very much. In Mark 10, 13 through 16, uh, it says this, And they were bringing children to him, Jesus, that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. And he said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. For such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God, like a child, shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms, and he blessed them, laying his hands on them. So if you're following along in your bulletin, here's point number one. Okay, I want you to, if you've got a pen or pencil, uh, I, you know, I, I would like for you guys to jot these down. Point number one, it says this, the kingdom of God belongs to to children. Is that what that verse says? It belongs to children. You think about it. They're innocent. Uh, I mean, obviously they're born with a sin nature, but they're innocent as to the world. They don't, they're not jaded like we are as adults. They're very trusting. Children are uh, almost to, to a fault. They're faithful, and their walls are down. See, it's not until later, until they find out what the world is really like, and they become jaded, and it changes. Uh, and we, I feel like, as a church, need to protect that innocence of the child and keep them in that way as long as we possibly can because it's a very beautiful thing. They're just honest. They're honest in their questions. They're honest in their conversations, and they, they see God and His love in ways that we need to go back and rediscover. Amen? Point number two, it says that you must have faith like a child. Well, I think of it like this. Uh, if your father or mother has ever taken you to a playground, right, and you have one of those big, scary slides, you know what I'm talking about, the big, scary slide, and you're young, right, and you've climbed those steps, and you've sat on your rear end, you're ready to slide down, and then all of a sudden, fear just grips you. And your father or mother is waiting at the bottom of that slide, and what are they saying? Trust me, I'll catch you, it'll be okay. Uh, I remember uh, in, in swimming lessons, the, the first time I took swimming lessons, and we're, we're jumping off the big diving board, 
okay? And my father is down there, and of course it's that deep water, and you're just learning how to swim, and you're up very, very high, and he's there, and he goes, son, trust me, just trust me, you must jump, and I will catch you, I will save you, it's going to be okay. Well, we have to have faith like a child. God deals with us in very much the same way. Sometimes we got to jump. And you know that's scary? There are things that maybe the Lord is telling us to do, maybe in this service right now. Maybe it has something to do with this week in VBS, and it's, it's terrifying, but you got to jump. you got to trust the Lord. Well, in Matthew 18, 2 through 6, it says this, And calling to him a child... He put him in the midst of them, and he said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, there it is again. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better to him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Are those some serious verses there? There's some serious verses, isn't it? Well, let's take a look at, at what he's trying to say here. First of all, point number three, it says this. Humble yourself like a child. Now look, I understand that children can be selfish in their own way. But what I'm saying is that like, you have to look at what he's trying to say. Children typically, and for the most part, they're not going to go and take the best seat in the house. They're not going to, uh, you know, thrust themselves into, like, the most important position in your household and try to, I mean, I mean, obviously, I guess they can try to take charge if you'll let them, but for the most part, they are, they have a, a humbleness about them, a spirit about them that somehow is lost on us. Well, I go back to the very first sin. You see, Adam and Eve, when they were created, they didn't really get to experience childhood the way you and I get to experience childhood. They were already adults when God created them. But, uh, you know, when, when Satan in the form of the serpent came to him and he says, oh, well, you're, you know, if you eat of this fruit of this other tree that God said was forbidden, you will be like God. You will know exactly what he knows. So what was really the first sin? The real first sin was pride. They said, oh, I'm going to be like God. I'm going to be my own God. And basically, secular humanism and everything that's taught, unfortunately, uh, on our televisions and sometimes in our schools and uh, all that, and that they say, you can be your own God. Well, I got news for you. That's a lie. You have to humble yourself. You have to humble yourself like a child. One of my favorite illustrations of all times comes from C.S. Lewis in a book entitled The Screwtape Letters. There's a guy that gets on fire for Christ, he's wanting to do what is right, and he becomes very, very humble. Humble like a child. And these demons have this confab there, and they said, listen, how are we going to derail this guy? We, he's making too much of an impact for the kingdom of God. And they said, ah, oh, here's what we'll do. We'll remind him of how humble he is to reintroduce pride in his life so that he can start stumbling again. Is it important that we remove ourselves from the equation? I mean, I think about this week. Everybody that's donated their time, everybody that's come up here, that's hung decorations, that's painted, and all the things that they have done, 
Did they do it for recognition? Is that why they did it? At least they shouldn't have. Did they do it because they want you, you know, praise and adoration from you? No, but although you should give it to them, they did a great job. But they did it because they want to keep the goal in mind. It's about the children. It's about those that hopefully will come to know Christ during this next week. Well, point number four, do not cause a child to sin. Now, this one to me is very serious. You look at that verse up there, what it say? If you cause a child to sin, it's better that you tie a millstone around your neck and you jump in the water. I'm pretty sure God considers this to be very serious. We do not, under any circumstances, lead children astray. You want to know why doctrine is important in a church and why it's important that we teach our children the truth? Well, you need look no further than that verse right there. We have a great obligation and a duty to point our kids towards Christ. Amen? Are you with me here still? Proverbs 22.6 says this, Train up a child in the way that he should go, and he, even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Famous verse. We've all heard it. We've all quoted it maybe at some point or another. But I want to point something out to you, and it says this, train up a child. Well, that brings me to point number five. Training up a child is a full-time job. Look, do you want television and internet raising your children? Yes or no? No. No. Do you want, you want public education, a state or government-run facility, determining what your children believe? No. Absolutely not. So it's important that you invest in your children. Time, correction, teaching. It is a full-time job. Now, I imagine that, think about all the lives that are going to be touched this week. You know, we've got a meal that we're going to prepare. I'm going to venture to say that there could be some children that will be up here this week that that'll be the only good meal that they'll eat that day. Did you know that? That's very possible. And hopefully we're going to provide those meals every single day. What did Jesus talk about? Meet the physical need and then give them the spiritual need. I imagine that we need, we need all of our men here at our church on deck. Uh, if you heard my message uh, about on Father's Day that I dedicate to my father who I lost, you know, uh, you might be the only male figure that they ever see during that week, the only interaction that they have. Show them the love of Christ. Invest in them. Find out their names. Ask them some questions. Build some relationships. Point them towards Christ. It is crucial as a church that we do this. This is our mission. This is our goal. Why is Retta here? Yeah, we're here for fellowship, and of course, you know, we're here for each other, but if we want to be an evangelical church, and we want to be a growing church, and you look at the statistics, and how many kids accept Christ between the ages of 8 and 18, then when you look at our budget, and you look at where we're, we're putting our efforts, should they go towards our children and youth? Yes. Yes, they should. Because if we don't get them early, it'll be too late. If, if you let them be raised in public education for 13 years and then we send them to liberal universities, it, it, I'm telling you, it looks bleak. We've got to get them in here while they're young. 
Proverbs 22.15 says this, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Point number six. Discipline is a crucial process in the child training system. It's true. It is important. It is something that's going to be difficult during this week. There are going to be some children up here that might not just behave like perfect little angels. I know that will shock you to hear that, right? Uh, maybe their uh, home life and maybe their parenting uh, skills, they might be a little lax, and so they're not used to that. But let me tell you something. It is important because here's what I know. In the Scriptures it says, God disciplines those whom He loves, and our parents discipline us because they loved us. So it will be important to do some correcting of some behaviors and all of that. And that is a part of training up a child. Look, uh, I'm uh, no stranger to all the different parenting styles that have come up and familiar with old Dr. Spock and said, you know, no spanking. And, you know, I see these parents now, you know, and they're like, I'm going to count to three. One, one, one thousand, Two, two and a quarter, two and three fours, two and eleven twelves, and, and you just keep going on and on and on. And, you know, it, it's clearly uh, not working. Most of that happens in the sugar cereal aisle in, in the Walmart and all that. And, and I'll, I'll tell you this, too, just because I've been in education so long, one of the greatest struggles as a teacher that we have in education is just the fact that We've got to get control. We have to have discipline. They have to back us if our classrooms are going to run the way that we need to. I'm going to be honest with you. I have had kids stand up. They have literally just cussed me out right to my face and, you know, just said things that we couldn't repeat behind the pulpit. And then you send them out to the AP. And unfortunately, you know, the AP, they'll send them right back, which, number one, undermines your authority because then they know that there's absolutely nothing you're going to do to them. They want to know if you've contacted the parent. Well, not yet, because I'm actually teaching in my class. Thank you very much. And then number three, it, it says this. Well, I talked to them, and they said that their behavior would change. You talked to them. That's nice. That's sweet. And so, you know, it's just like, it's like a vicious cycle. I mean, that's why people leave education all the time, is because we've got to have the support, right, from our administration. Discipline is important. If you don't train up a child in the way that he or she should go, we have problems. And of course, in that verse there, it talks about the rod of discipline. Okay? Um, I think I mentioned this in my Father's Day sermon. You know, uh, we understood what the belt meant. We understood, like, switches. I'll never forget, there's one time my dad said, all right, you're going to go choose your switch. We were out in the country, okay? And I know which branches are bendy, which ones hurt, right? And so I want to bring him like a little twig, you know. I'm like, yeah, this. But then I realized you can really like, you know, hurl with those things. I mean, those things hurt, especially, you know, in the back of the legs. And so, listen, I told you that my dad, he did. He disciplined me, but I tell you, he never disciplined me out of anger. You know, we use words today like beat and torture and, you know, I'm going to call CPS on you and all that. Let me tell you something. I thank my father every single day for what he did because he was a huge influence in my life. Psalm 8-2, it says, Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe 
and the avenger. This is one of my favorite points right here. Children are an integral part in defeating the enemy. Look what it says. It says, through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies, a fortress that cannot be broken. You cannot break through to silence the foe and the avenger. You know what it says in the scriptures? It says, out of the mouth of babes comes forth what? The truth. The truth of the scriptures. Why? Because we invested. We taught them the words. And we said, hey, listen, it's all about the 66 books right here in front of us. We have a great duty this week. It's very important that we keep in mind. It's not, there might be some things that happen, some problems that come up, who knows, you know, the decorations or the crafts or whatever it is, but let's keep the end goal in mind, and that is it's about professing Christ to those children who are coming in. It's, it's about that. Never lose sight of the goal. So I want to ask you this question, and then uh, I want to do something a little different with our invitation this morning. Here's the question for you. I want every single one of you to answer this. It says, are you a child of God? Are you following Him? Are you doing what He's asked you to do? Have you accepted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Have you humbled yourself? And are you willing to submit to what the Lord is telling you to do, to come underneath His discipline? Or... Are you causing the children to stumble? Are we not being the example that we need to be to the children in our church, the children in our community, your children and grandchildren, and our home? You know, children, they mirror what they see. And they are watching you all the time, continually. What you are doing, your language, your words, your body language, that's all being noticed. Children notice everything. We have a quote by the great Billy Graham, the evangelist, and he says this, The greatest legacy one can pass on to one's children and grandchildren is not money or other material things accumulated in one's life, but rather a legacy of character and faith. I love Billy I couldn't have said it any better myself. You see, you know, you're thinking, oh, I want my children to have more than what I had. I want them to have a better life. You know, sometimes we let them have so much stuff, they don't even have to struggle, and it's counterproductive for them. Counterproductive. It's better to leave them a legacy of character and faith. I cannot think of anything better than being in heaven with your children, your grandchildren, with my father, and my family. And I have a lot, unfortunately, in my family, and I'm going to be praying for them in our invitation time that are lost, that need to come to know the Lord. But the ones that we can take with us, how sweet it's going to be, and the fellowship that's going to take place. And there's still a chance, there's still time. The Lord has tarried for this very reason. So if He doesn't come back this week, every single day, we have a chance to share the love of Christ with those kids that are going to walk through that door. I want to 
I want to end this, in, in, like I say, in a little different way. If you, if you are uh, involved in our VBS this week, somehow, some way, uh, would you stand? Just you've been, you've been painting. You're going to be a teacher. You're going to be crafts. You're going to do whatever it is. Okay. So we're looking around the room here. Okay. And as our, as our musicians are going to come. Okay. They're going to play. They're going to sing. This invitation is open, obviously, to make any decision that you want to make. If you need to trust in Christ, I'm going to be here. You come, we'll, we'll do business right here with the Lord. If you need to follow in Believer's Baptism, Ed, and we're going to be here, praise team is going to be in the aisle and all that. But I want to do this as a church. See these people that are standing? If you have the ability and you can move about, I would like for some of you to get up, to go over, Put your hand on them, and I would like for you to pray for them this week. I'd like for you to pray for the kids that are going to walk through this door that don't know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. I want to pray for uh, all of the different problems that we're going to have. We know we're going to encounter them, but that God would give us wisdom and direction. I also want to pray that this is the moment, Red Baptist Church, that we're going to have these new families and that we will have those younger families join us, and it's time for this church to become the church that we've always meant to become to rise from the ashes, to grow, and to reach out to those people. And remember when I talked about you're jumping off that slide? I know some of you are frightened to death. You are frightened to death because you're going to want to go over there and you're going to say, how am I going to introduce myself and sit down? It's very simple. You just go over there and you say, hi, my name is, and you put your hand out. And you say, I'm so glad to see you here at Retta. And you just love on them. And those kids that are walking down the hallway, you, you strike up a conversation and you invest in them because Jesus, when the disciples tried to stop the children, Jesus says he was indignant. He was angry and he said, no, let them come to me. See, they're important too. In fact, they're vital because they are the future of the church. Would you bow with me and then we're going to enter into our time of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you today. Lord, I just want to thank you for this service. I thank you, Lord, for Retta Baptist Church. I want to thank you for every single person here that's standing, that has taken their time this week to come up, to cut things out, to paint, to clean, to hang things from the walls and ceilings, who have stapled and taped. And Lord, they've just worked tirelessly every single day. I thank you for our servants, Father. But Lord, I just want to pray that we would keep the end goal in mind, that Father, as these children come through the door, we would realize that we need to be salt and light. We need to reach out to them. We need to build relationships with these families. And Father, I know it, it can be scary. And we may not have the words to say, but you'll give us the words to say. And most importantly, it's just about the love that we love on them and we show them, Father, that uh, you first loved us. Lord, uh, as we start this time of invitation, I just pray, Father, that we would be a praying church, that we would uh, go, that we would just um, grab a person by a hand or put a hand on a shoulder, and that we would just enter into a time of sweet, sweet prayer. And Father, that uh, your spirit would just be, be blessed in this time. Lord, we know that it says that those prayers ascend into the throne room and are a sweet fragrance to you. 
Lord, whatever decision needs to be made as our, our prayer team is here, I just pray, Father, that we would have the boldness that if we need something, there's something going on in our lives or there was something that was said today, a business that we need to take care of, that we would just go to, to Pastor Ed or to Ben or one of these prayer team members and uh, we would make it right with you. And I ask these things in your holy and blessed and matchless name. Amen.